if you happen to have been with us in the last couple of weeks, uh, we had some of the SUFM team come up and speak, and they uh, were doing some psalms. So we thought, well, let's keep on with the, the thought of that, and we'll keep doing some psalms through uh, January. And so we're going to be looking at uh, Psalm 3 today. Uh, and when I think about psalms, uh, I think they're a bit like a mirror. Uh, mirrors do a couple of things, don't they? Uh, firstly, they give reflection. They reflect back to us on what they see. Uh, sometimes you think, well, I need to look at the mirror from this angle. Maybe that's my good side. Or maybe that's my good side. Or maybe that's my good side. Oh man, I've got no good sides. It's hopeless, isn't it? They reflect back, don't they? Uh, so mirrors are that. They do a reflection. But I actually think too, when we look into mirrors, they also reveal. They reflect what they see, but as you look into them, they also reveal what's going on the inside, don't they? Uh, this guy's a bit pensive, isn't he? He's looking into it. He's thinking, what is going on? What's happening here? What's going on around us? And I think that's sometimes for us too, isn't it? Uh, when we look into the mirror, we can cover up, we can put the makeup on, we can do the hair, we can look, look all flash. But if we stand there long enough and look, it actually reveals what's on the inside too, doesn't it? We see what's happening in our lives. We feel what's happening in our souls. We feel what's going on around us. And I think Psalms are like that. I think Psalms do that. They reflect back to us what's going on around us. They reflect what it sees, the world. But it also reveals to us what's going on the inside. And so today what I'm going to be looking at is a psalm that is similar in one sense to the psalms that we've heard in the past. But it's going to, I think, reveal just another aspect of what God is doing. It's going to show up just something in our lives that maybe we hadn't thought of before. You see, I don't think psalms give us all the answers in one go. Uh, Psalms, you need to read a number of them and they give a different angle, a different perspective, a different view. And as we look at all of them together, as we put the pieces together, then we get a big picture of what God's on about. So we're going to look at Psalm 3 today. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question. What is the first response you have when someone has a go at you? What's the first response you have when someone has a go at who you are or what you do or what's going on around you? What's your first response when someone has a go at your faith and what you believe? What's your first response when uh, someone says you te- texts you a, a message and you think, what on earth is that about? Uh, when you get an email message and... Uh, it's very hard to read tone in an email message, isn't it? But in the tone in the email message, you think, well, there's a comment that you think, oh, that had a go at me. Well, there's a blog. Well, there's a response. Or you're down the street and someone speaks to you and you think, where did that come from? What's your first response when someone has a go at you? Well, let's have a look at Psalm 3 because I think David in Psalm 3 helps us think about what is a good first response. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up. Uh, You'll see on the inside there, it's also on the screen. Psalm 3 is not a long psalm, but it's a great psalm. And you want to keep in mind, what is our first response when someone has a go at us? Uh, Feel free to have your Bibles open. Feel free to look at it with me. Now Psalm 3 says, O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. 
But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud and he answers me from his holy hill. I lie down and sleep. I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw and break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. I can't believe it. He couldn't do that. He wouldn't do that. But he has done that. How could he possibly do that? He's my son. He's the fruit of my loins. He is the one that I give everything to, but he's done. I cannot believe it. He's gone down and he's sat at the front of the city grates and he's weaseled his way in amongst the elders down there. And as people come into the city, he starts speaking to them and talking to them and telling them how bad I am. He's weaseled his way in there. And the more he speaks to people, the more people are against me. And now he's got an army together. Army to come and take me away and depose me and get rid of me. How could my son, my son Absalom, do this to me? Well, hopefully you might have thought, who am I? Who do you think I might have been? Dylan. David, well done, good work. Uh, so I was David, I suppose, uh, a little bit of a change up there. Uh, some people who are regular with us know they do that every now and then and uh, just come out with something a bit different. Uh, but that actually sets the context for Psalm 3. You see, David is writing this psalm, it's almost a prayer, and it's a prayer that's been put to music. And we know that it's been put to music because it's got those things called sila written in there. If you see those things called sila. Well, we're not 100% sure what they actually mean, uh, but we think they mean pump up the volume. Uh, we think they mean get louder here. This is really, you want to rise, you want to get up, we want to be loud about what we're saying here. And so David here is praying his troubles. He's got his son who has been talking and raised up an army to come and destroy him, to take over his kingship, to get rid of him. And so this is what David's response is to what his son has done to him. And so his first port of call for David, you'll see, is uh, he cries out, doesn't he? He cries out and he says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. He is being hammered from every side. People are after him. People are on to him. People are having a go at him. Have a think about the questions that I said right at the start. What have been your response to those when someone's had a go at you? What has been the things that you have done? What would you have done? Well, what David does in his first port of call is he prays. David's first port of call is prayer. And even when he comes to God in prayer, it still seems like people are thinking that you're hopeless, David. This is not going to work. It's going to be pathetic, mate. This is, God's not going to deliver you. He's not going to save you. You're, you're gone, mate. Tens of thousands raised up against you. You're gone. We might get one email. We might get one Facebook message. We might get one interesting conversation down the street. David has a whole army against him and his son against him. And his first port of call is prayer. It's a good thought for us, isn't it? 
What's our first port of call? I know that very often my first port of call is not prayer. My first port of call is, I'm going to send back a message to them straight away. You know, they'll hear what I'm thinking about that. Oh man, that text message, mate, I'm going to send that through. Man, I'm going to dislike them on Facebook. They're not going to be my friends anymore. I'm going to knock them off. But David's first port of call is prayer. And why does he do that? Because he has confidence in his God. He knows what God is like. He actually reflects on God's character. And as he reflects on God's character, he sees that God is his safe place. And so he goes to him. And the first thing we find out is he reflects on God's character. He reflects that God is his protector. Have a look at what he says there in verse 3 and 4. But you are my shield, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud and, and, and he answers me from his holy hill. Uh, he cries out to him, doesn't he? Because he knows that he is his shield, is his protector, that God is going to look after him. Uh, he uses that picture of shield being around him and it's going to look after him. And in a sense, that's what the shields were like back in those days. For us, I don't know what you think about shields, but I don't think they look particularly good as, a, as a, an armoured vehicle. Uh, these days, a tank, I'd be happy to be in a tank if someone came against me. I'd be happy if I was in an armoured vehicle if someone came against me. Uh, but for back then, the shield was a thing that protected them. And even though to us it might seem flimsy, back then it was very effective. I don't know if you've watched some of those films uh, of that time frame or that period, but I watched 300 once, and it's a pretty impressive film. I'm not saying it's for everybody. Um, you need to suck it in a little bit and uh, uh, take a little bit of vines. But 300 is a film based on, a, they say, a, a true story of how 300 Greeks kept back, uh, I think, something like 10,000 army of Persians from coming at them and attacking them. And, and one of the things that they did was, was their shields were their major defence and almost their major weapon. So what they would do is you could see their shields, they'd interlock them and link them and they, that would be like a barrage and even though thousands of people came against them, they just couldn't bash down their shields. Now, 10,000 people eventually did overrun them uh, but 300 slayed, I don't know how many it was, but, uh, and protected Greece for a long, long period of time. So it's this shield, it's a protection, it's a sense that it's keeping things out, it's keeping the enemy out, stopping it from happening. And that's what David is saying that God is like for him, that he's a shield who protects, a shield that will keep away, a shield that will make sure that he's safe. And it's the same for us, isn't it? God too can be our shield and we're going to see how he is our ultimate shield at the end in someone particular. But we can trust that like David did. He trusted God because he was his shield. He was going to protect him. He was going to look after him. Because of that, he could rest. Look at the next verse that he says. He says after he's, this is 10,000, he's got these troops coming against him, his sons against him. He said, God's going to protect me. And so his next verse, he says, I lie down and I sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I'll not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. He can sleep in the middle of what seems like disaster, of people having a go against them. I don't know whether you've ever been like this. In your bed, going through it, things are going through your mind. There's been a, a problem at work. There's been a problem at home. You've had an argument with somebody uh, and you just... Mind just races. Uh, maybe you go to sleep like that. Maybe you wake up when your bladder tells you in the middle of the night and you go to the toilet, you come back and think, I'm going to go to sleep. 
Next minute, boof, your brain just goes into overdrive and suddenly it's just everything's happening around you. I know it happens to me regularly. And regularly I stay like that. Whereas really I should be like this. Sleep. David is like that. He has an army drawn up against him. He has his son against him and he's asleep. Why? Because he knows that his Lord sustains him and keeps him and will deliver him. He knows that, doesn't he? That's what the verse says. He knows he's going to rise up. He knows that God's going to sustain him. God's going to keep him. He has trust in God. He trusts in who God is. He trusts in what God does. He trusts in God's character. He's seen God deliver him. He's seen God deliver him from David, uh, from Goliath. He's seen God deliver Israel from Pharaoh. He, he, he's read about what God has done through history and he sees that and he trusts in that and he knows that God's got it sorted. He knows God's got a plan. He knows that God is sovereign and so he trusts in him and he sleeps. I think often uh, we don't rest because we don't trust, do we? Uh, earlier in the year we did this, we uh, looked at a guy, Steve Timmis and Tim Chester. They had four things about God that I have found really helpful to get me back to sleep. Uh, as David reflects on God's character, these things help me to reflect on God's character and help me to get to sleep. Uh, and I think they're great and I reckon I want to encourage you to have them. If you want to write something down, I reckon this is a great four things to have I can't read that from here almost, but uh, the first one is that God is great. That's what we sang in the song, isn't it? God is great, God is strong. Uh, So we don't have to be in control. That's often what it is, isn't it? We think that we've got to control everything. We've got to make sure it all works. We've got to make sure that it happens. We're the ones that run the world, aren't we? If I don't run the world, who's going to run the world? Well, God is. God does. He's great. So we actually don't have to be in control. We don't have to have every nut and bolt sorted out. I reckon it's a great thing to trust in, isn't it? No, that God is glorious. Let's go back. God is glorious. He's beyond and bigger than anyone and anything. So we don't have to fear anyone else. We don't have to fear the people out there who don't like us. We don't have to fear the people that are having a go at us. We don't have to fear because maybe the things that we planned aren't going to happen because someone's against us. As a church, we don't have to fear what's going to happen to Matt when he goes into the school. We don't have to fear the timetable, what it's going to look like because his God is glorious. He's got it sorted, hasn't he? His will will be done. We can trust in that. God is good. So we don't have to look anywhere else. We don't have to go and find something else to satisfy us. We don't have to go looking for the greatest next adventure or whatever. Not that they're bad, okay? But they're not going to satisfy. We don't have to look for the new car, the new house, the new job, something, the new girlfriend, the new boyfriend, the new husband, the new wife. We don't have to do that because God is good. He's where it's at. We trust in him. And God is gracious. So we don't have to prove ourselves. He's brought us in. He's loved us. Through Jesus, we are now in his family. We don't have to prove ourselves to anyone else. 
God loves us. We he, says the song. How good is that? I keep going through those. When I wake up in the middle of the night and things are going on, oh, what I first do, I tend to do, is I tend to think I'm going to try and solve it myself. I tend to work through all of it and I try and work out a strategy and then about half an hour later I think, you idiot, you're still thinking. Man, why don't I come to God? First put a call, pray to him, trust him in these things. God is great, God is glorious, God is good and God is gracious. And when I have done that, I'm not saying it's a simple wipe the wand thing, but when you do that, you take your eyes off yourself and you take your eyes to God and he's the one that gives us rest. And he gives us peace. Because he's all those things. David knows that God is his shield, his protection. David rests and goes to sleep and rises again because he trusts in a God who's got it sorted. And he also trusts in a God who delivers. Now look what he says here. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, God. Strike the enemies on his jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Now that sounds pretty tough, doesn't it? I'm not sure I'd encourage you to pray that prayer for those that don't have a go at you. Uh, but for David, that is important, isn't it? He's actually got an army against him. He's actually got someone about to come and kill him. And for deliverance for him, in one aspect, is that this army is knocked out. So he prays for that. He prays that these people won't be able to come and kill him. They'll be knocked out. I think there's nothing wrong with us to pray against those that are actually working against us. Especially if they're working against us in what we see the gospel going forward especially when we see that things are happening to try and stop the good news of Jesus to go forward. Remember that's what David's talking about at the end. He's talking about blessing his people, that the people of the world will know God and know him and love him. And for us, that's to know Jesus and love him. I don't think there's anything wrong with us to pray against people or organisations or things that are trying to stop that from happening. Because God is great. God is good. God is glorious. We've had some instances here, haven't we? We've had some instances where uh, situations that we've had blockages at school recently in regards to having accommodation there. Now, we didn't pray that people would be knocked out in their teeth here, but we did pray that God would intervene and change their minds. That he would change the opposition to be on our side. Maybe we need to pray for the removal of opposition. Maybe we need to pray for the removal of council. Not the council at the moment, Derek, because they're good. Uh, <laughs> But when there's elements or when there's a particularly anti-Christian sentiment going on, maybe we need to be praying against that. David does. Maybe we can. But then David ultimately plays that he's delivered, doesn't he? He says there, from the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. David knew... That in God's sovereign, God's got it in control, God is good, God is great, God is glorious, then his will will be done and he will deliver his people if he desires that to be the case. He's been delivered before and he was delivered in this situation as well. God stepped in when it looked like David could not possibly get past his enemies, when it looked like he was going to be destroyed, God stepped in and delivered him. And he was praying that to be the case for him this time as well. Do you know what? 
you and I have been delivered. You and I have a deliverer against the greatest enemy, sin and death. We have been delivered by Jesus. He is the one who is God's ultimate deliverer. He is the one that is going to bring blessings on his people. You see, Jesus, when he goes to the cross, when he dies, when he rises again, comes to deal and deliver us. He is the one that protects us. He is the one that is a shield for us against God's anger for the things that we do wrong. He takes it. He protects us. He is the one that gives us rest and peace because he takes on sin and death and takes that and destroys that so that we can rest in him. He's the one that gives us peace because no longer do we have to work to try and be right with God. We don't have to do all these good things to be right with God because Jesus has delivered us from that. We don't have to try and get to be right with God. God makes us right with himself through Jesus. He's the ultimate deliverer. God's blessing to the world is not particularly David, though he's helpful. It is Jesus. He is the one that brings blessing to the nations. He is the one that delivers you and I. He is the one that brings us from being enemies of God to being friends of God when we sing that Jesus, thank you from being people who won't be in God's presence forever to being in God's presence forever, from being people who have no purpose and meaning and direction in life to having people who live for Jesus now. That's who Jesus is. He is our great deliverer. Now David is a picture of that. David points to that, but we've seen it. We can find out about that. We can pick it up and see that Jesus is our great deliverer. Jesus is our great protector. Jesus is the one that gives us rest and Jesus is the one that delivers us safely home to our Father in eternity. How good is that? So what's your first port of call when someone has a go at you? What's your first port of call when that text comes through, when that email comes through? When that conversation doesn't go quite right, do we get down and pray first? Do we get on our knees or wherever we are or in a corner and just take time out and reflect on God? Reflect on his character, that he is good, that he is great, that he is gracious, that he is glorious, that he has delivered us in Jesus and we can be thankful to him. Can I say to you, the times when I have done that has been a completely different outcome. Completely different outcome. What's your first port of call? When you want to make decisions about where you go, what you do, how do you respond to this thing that's come your way, this trouble that has come your way, what's your first port of call? I pray your first port of call is prayer to our good, great, gracious, glorious God who has delivered us in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just take a moment for allow that to settle, Lord, and think through this psalm. We pray, Lord, that we won't just let it be, but we'll let it sink in that will let it penetrate our souls.
that it will transform us and change us and that, Lord, we'll go from here and we will be different because we've looked at your word and heard you speak to us through it. We pray, Lord, that by your spirit you won't let us be comfortable with it, but you'll uh, work within us, Lord, to be people that are changed. That we're not people in a rut, but we're people moving forward and moving forward towards you and moving forward to be more like Jesus. We pray, Lord, that we'll be people who our first port of call is you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.